Welcome to another episode of Coffee and Conversations, where we look at the intersection of relationships, faith, and leadership. I am one of your co-hosts, Michael Clark. And I'm Christian Harden. We're so glad you joined us. All right, we're so glad that you have joined us again for another episode of Coffee and Conversations. As you heard in our intro, I do have Christian, my co-host here in studio. It's How you me. doing, Christian? Doing good, doing good. I'm super excited again about our guest. Are you? I am. Yeah, me too. So we were talking with Neil Anderson before uh, before we hit record, and I just want you guys to Google Neil Anderson. Mm-hmm. And I guess see if you can find the right one. That's what I'm really going to do. It's going to be like, where's Waldo on the on the internet? It's like, can then, you find the Neil Anderson that we're talking to today? Because we want you to find him. And he's going to tell you more about his story and how to get connected to what God's doing uh, here in, in his uh, life and through him and in our city here in Knoxville. But for those that uh, are listening and want to reach out to us, we love to hear from you. So what I want you to do is to email us at coffeeconvospodcast at gmail.com. Super long. We're still going to be changing that over to a shorter email, but it hasn't happened yet. But coffeeconvospodcast at gmail.com. We appreciate our listeners, the feedback we're getting. Hey, those, again, a shout out to those in Ireland. We've got great numbers still, Christian. That's right. Few in Southeast Asia. We, we are appreciate that. we are the treasure at the end of the rainbow in <laughs> Ireland. I feel like the pot is here. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> this is it, man. <laughs> we'll just leave that there. But um, again, we've got some great coffee that we're sipping on. Hopefully, some great conversations coming. You want to talk about this? Yes, it decent? is from Bryn Coffee. Uh, still sipping on the Guji. Uh, this is our third week in a row with it, and he's got a new Burundi in that Ooh. we're hoping to try out. Big Burundi fan. So we like coffee shops in general. Yes, we do. And I know you have some feelings about some that you don't like, and, and we won't mention those. No, we don't have to go there. But it's a weird place. I love, uh, we've had multiple church planners or ministry leaders that are like, man, this is what God's called us to also to create a space, and it includes serving coffee. And mm-hmm. so uh, Eli down in South Knoxville and James Saylor there in, in Maryville. And so I've connected with Will Boggs at Likewise, which right. just, just love those guys. He's in Kenya right now. I'll just be praying for him and, and his team. Um, but we're, I hope to have him on. That'd be fun. And we'll have to, we'll have to interview him from Likewise. Likewise, yeah, that'd be some cool. some frothing going on in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Hey, today, Neil Anderson is in the house. Uh, I got to meet him through Thrive and uh, Clayton Wood over there, but the Thrive Residency Program, just an amazing uh, just gem in our community. But to get to be able to hear a little bit about his story and where God is, has brought him from and through, um, I'm excited today, Neil. Thank you so much for coming and joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. So I think our I think our Irish folks are really gonna like Neil too. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think he has a great radio voice. Yes, personally. You did say that. I do. I think he With has a great a, adjective. A sexy oh, radio yeah, voice. I will say it. <laughs> and so he said that only his wife would say that about him. So we know she's gonna be a great listener. Only my wife and Michael Clark. <laughs> and Michael. <laughs> That's weird. Okay. But do tell us a little bit about yourself. Just where you come from, what's going on. tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah. Um What's going on right now in your life, just personally? Well, first and foremost, it's uh, it's Casey and the kids. That's uh, that's my life. My wife, Casey, uh, is a probably just. I'm going to brag a little bit. She's the best yoga teacher in town. Uh, she is uh, an incredible woman of God. Um, one of my heroes, and our marriage is everything for us. Uh, it's just it's just been so sweet and flourishing, and we're just so 
happy that um, that God has brought us together. We got three great kids: uh, Bennett, Mallory, and Amelia. Bennett's fourteen, Mallory's twelve, and Amelia's eight. Uh, we just got back uh, last night, actually, from the Tennessee Vols baseball game together Woo-hoo. as a family. Unfortunately, we it did lost. not do. It it's didn't okay. go too well. But still, maybe. we still love the Vols. We're still cheering for them. Baseballs, baseballs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, going back though, uh, I, I was born and raised in California. Uh, don't hold that against me. Mm. Uh, no, uh, born in Sacramento and then raised in Sonoma County, which is right near Napa in the wine country up there. So oh, really beautiful there. Beautiful spot. I mean, yeah. I, I was so blessed and. Uh, Grew up in a Christian home, uh, mom and dad, and then going back to some generations even, uh, a lot mm-hmm. of faith in our family. Um, and maybe some of the, the biggest early impactors was uh, was my church. Uh, I had a great community church there uh, in, the, in, in town nearby, and um, youth group, uh, summer camp nearby. We had a Christian summer camp called Mount Gilead that was so formative for me. So mm-hmm. youth group, summer camp, and then on to even uh, mission trips as a youth uh, gr- youth group you know, member, uh, going to Mexico, uh, doing community uh, down there and, and serving the people and you know, building and, and, and developing relationships. So from, honestly, from zero to 18, I just had, I was so blessed with a tremendous Christian upbringing. So grateful for it. Wow. So who were some of those, I guess, key key individuals or events that really kind of earmark that zero to 18? Like, yeah. uh, I'm hearing parents, church, I mean, there's so many. Were there, were there any highlighted individuals or events? I mean, you mentioned camp um, that were just formative into what you would maybe step into later in life. Yeah, first and foremost, I mean, I think it's a common story for, for some, uh, but it was my youth pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Porter was his name. Dan Porter. And uh, Dan... Uh, man, just a gentle man, uh, deeply godly man, um, just easy to be with, uh, not pretentious at all, just just a man of God. And so walking and really watching Dan as a man was informative for me, uh, watching him just interact with his own family, watching him teach and preach and guide and develop and disciple. Uh, he just had a tremendous impact on me. And so very early on, in being with Dan, I knew that there was something different about him that I was drawn to, and that he w- he became a very key influencer for me, having a desire to enter into vocational ministry down the road. So when so when did that happen? When did um, you decide, hey, I think ministry is something I want to pursue a little more seriously? What? Yeah, it happened early for me. Um, early on, even in middle school, I remember really. Th- feeling this draw to to um, enter into something like what Dan was doing. And the Lord just got a hold of me early on as a, as a kid. Uh, my mom probably brought me to faith on you know the living room couch at five and ever since then it was it was a it was a sweet ride. There were some bumps in the road and we can get to those too. But uh, the main maybe uh, defining moment would have been on one of those mission trips to Mexico. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting there, Dan would have us, uh, he'd, he'd let the, the guys of the group kind of be on the four corners of the camp. We were literally out in the desert of Mexicali, <laughs> and wow. uh, there were, you know, there were these, uh, it was kind of tent city where all these churches would come, all these youth groups would come, and they'd have tents throughout this desert area of Mexicali, and then each day they'd go out into the different Mexican uh, community neighborhoods in Mexico, in, in and around Tijuana, and just bless and serve the people. And so in tent city, we 
we had these uh, four markers where we were uh, in lawn chairs on the on the four corners of the tent city, and we were there to do security. So <laughs> imagine 14, 15, 16-year-old boys oh doing, doing night security for tent city in Mexico. <laughs> but it was there. You know, I got the 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. shift, right? And it was there with a Mountain Dew in my hand, and looking out That's over awesome. the you know Mexi- Mexican desert there and watching the sunrise, and I just I had that moment where I was like, you know what, Lord, it's it's five thirty six a.m. and I'm not sure I'm thinking coherently, but I think you're asking me to do this for the rest of my life. And so truly, that's kind of the defining moment that security. I remember. To be on night security yeah. <laughs> in ministry for the rest of my life. <laughs> wow, that is, that's a crazy story. Which yeah. takes us to Thrive Lonsdale. Which t- <laughs> yeah. Where he's night security for the residency house. For the residency house. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Wow. So on the horizon, it's, it wasn't a mirage. You believe the Lord started calling you into full time. Well, what were the next steps? I mean, you were pretty young. I was. That was about 15, 16. Wow. And uh, not too long after that, uh, you guys remember Microsoft Works? <laughs> yes. Okay, vaguely, some of you, huh? we're dating ourselves here. <laughs> so they, they had like a spreadsheet program, you know, this was before Excel even, I think. I don't even know. But anyway, I got, I got home, this and in, awesome. the, in the months later, I, I developed this spreadsheet of all these uh, Christian colleges and universities that I thought I might want to go to. And I'm thinking, okay, it's ministry, so i got to go to a Christian school, right? Okay, maybe. And so I just developed this whole list. I probably had a hundred different Christian schools that I had developed this list. I had their name, I had their address, I had the different majors that I was interested in. And so I, I was super nerdy, right? And just kind of nerding out, developing the spreadsheet and dreaming about where I was going to go to college. So um, yeah, that, w- that was the next step. Landed on Biola University. Uh, yeah. I like to say it was because uh, they had you know the cutest girls down there, and of course that's where I found my wife, so <laughs> I was right about that. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't have all the, the best criteria in the world for my choice, but... Was that in your spreadsheet? It was probably somewhere in my spreadsheet. I, I don't know how. Pros, categories. Cute girls. <laughs> cute girls, you know, zero to ten. Still Biola my was majors. Yeah. <laughs> so by, it landed on Biola, and, awesome. and Biola had actually... A, quite a heritage in our church in Northern Cal, uh, the senior pastor had gone to Biola okay. and also to Talbot Seminary, and so uh, there was some influence there. And, sure. Um, yeah, landed on Biola, and man, that that really fast-tracked my training and development in powerful ways. So you didn't go to a Christian college and then become disillusioned, which sometimes can happen. Oh, it can. Uh, there were parts of disillusionment, okay. for sure. Interesting. But more, more of that sense of equipping and, and launching yeah. and feeling that uh, j- just a sense that hey, look, the training that I'm getting is instrumental. I would learn later on that that training was about twenty-five to fifty percent of what I actually needed. Mm. But without it, I'm not sure that I'd be where I am today. Yeah. So it's interesting we even mention kind of the disillusionment that some folks, I mean, I've talked to some from even our Christian universities right here in our own backyard, um, came kind of anticipating going into ministry, and they're like, yeah, I don't think that's what I want to do at all now. And um, and sometimes that's the right thing, and sometimes it's because of a bad situation um, that wasn't necessarily meant to deter a call that was on their life. But I think, though, there is this aspect of disillusionment and... It's formative for young leaders, and I think if for young leaders, there there almost is this requirement of a season that really, without going through this, you're not going to be able to fully fulfill the purpose 
that God has for you in your life. And I experienced burnout when I worked in Los Angeles. I came back disillusioned. Yeah. Um, and so I think I know what that did in my life. I'm just curious, um, as, as you see, what are these next steps in your life and, and what were the formative moments mm. for you, both both positive and negative? Yeah. Yeah. I, first of all, Biola and Talbot were incredibly formative. Um, they weren't so much those disillusioning years. Those came yeah. a little bit later for sure. me, uh, so we'll get to that. Um, but again, the training, uh, the, the, the biblical foundation, uh, I'm, I'm always impressed when I think about, like my wife will say, hey, I'll, I'll say a verse, and she'll be like, how did you know that? And I'm like, I have no idea other than my yeah. training in, in Bible, in, you so know, great. in Christian university and seminary, like it's just it's there, it's there in the recesses, and and it comes out, and so that that foundation in the Word in the Scripture uh, from age eighteen to about you know twenty four or so, as I was going through those yeah. undergraduate grad years, that foundation was That's incredibly crucial. formative for me. So, what were your majors there? You I, focus on? My undergrad was in Christian ministries. Uh, okay. At the time, they called it Christian education. They've since changed it to Christian ministries. So, <laughs> again, dating myself a little bit. Uh, for the master's degree, I was wavering. I was going into. I was looking at philosophy of religion, and then I was looking mm-hmm. at philosophy, and then I was looking at theology. And I landed on theology. Um, also had an, a minor in Bible from the undergrad, but landed on theology. And uh, again, just such a foundation yeah. in the Word, which which so has good. been instrumental. That's so good. So you found your wife at Biola. Mm-hmm. She um, she put up with you through going through seminary. Sounds like sounds very familiar to me. My wife pretty much worked and put us through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what what came what was happening next? Where did God lead you guys? Yeah, well and then quick story about seminary. There was one day, see, we got married. She was still she was still uh, second semester junior in her undergrad when we got married. I was entering into seminary. So her dad said, You can marry her. But uh, if you marry her before she graduates college, you have to pay her student loans. Oh my goodness! And I said, and "You still wanted to marry right I then? I still want to marry her, man." <laughs> <laughs> so, and by the way, I'm still paying her student loans right now. <laughs> no regrets. No regrets. But anyhow, so uh, yeah, so so uh, golly, remind me where we were headed. Uh, yeah, I just yeah. lost track. Just pivotal on that. those years. But what what happened even next? Yeah. And, so the next steps was just jumping into ministry. Uh, you know, so it was seminary and ministry now at the time. Um, I, I had started in my undergrad. Just I got a little internship at a Presbyterian church, and then I and then I found a little Baptist church, and I landed uh, at this sweet uh, little Baptist church. At the time, I didn't really have categories. I didn't have some of the nomenclature that we're using nowadays. But mm. I, since looking back, I, I was really in an urban pretty at-risk environment hmm. in a very conservative Baptist church. Wow. A, a largely all-white congregation with a community that looked pretty diverse and, wow. and, a, and in some parts pretty broken. In California? In California. That was in uh, Bellflower, California. Okay. And um, again, I didn't have all the nomenclature and like understanding of what I was walking into. I was just like, hey, I got the job. Great. Let's go. <laughs> Um, but I was uh, kind of middle school director for a time, ended up being full youth pastor, and then even over youth and family. Uh, so I, we were at Bethel Grace from, golly, probably age, my, I was about 19 when I started there and ended there uh, right around, I would say, 22, 23, maybe, okay. at 23 years of age. Yeah. So th- through undergrad into graduate school, yes, through getting married, yes, that was the context of your application, so to speak, and really fleshing that out and 
in a church. It was. Uh, it was a baptism, you know, by fire right there, yeah. just just jumping in and really serving cool. all these different kids that were coming in uh, from so many different backgrounds. I mean, uh, my wife always <laughs> tells the funny story that, you know, one day she shows up, she's my girlfriend, or maybe we were engaged at the time, and, and I turned to her one day and I said, you know, honey, you... Uh, I just passed her the curriculum for the day, and she looks at it, and sure enough, it was you know the the, the sex talk that she had to have with the youth group girls. <laughs> and I said, "Here, you got about thirty minutes to prep." And she's like, "Neil, I've I haven't had sex yet. Remember?" And I said, "Yeah, I know that, but you, you still got to teach it anyway." So we were oh, we were ministering goodness. to kids who were dealing with issues that that you know we ourselves hadn't even dealt with yet, and and so wow. it was just kind of funny thinking about just again baptism by fire, just jumping yeah. on in and loving and serving <laughs> these kids. Yeah. That's I remember one of our kids at Kiko asked Desley, who's my wife, who was pregnant when this question happened. It was like, oh, are you Christian's uh, baby mama? <laughs> not my wife. <laughs> not Desley. Miss Desley is Christian's baby mama. You're the mama. baby mama. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. But more than that? But more than that. Yeah. So being able to contextualize like what things look like. So you're... I heard briefly about some mission trips and maybe some other experiences, but was there anything else that was leading you to say, man, I really do want to work in this type of community Mm -hmm. or environment or at least be a part of a cog in a bigger system that is making a difference in what is considered disenfranchised and underserved, under-resourced communities? Was there anything else that was already in your DNA that was kind of feeding you that direction? You know, for me, I'll be honest, it was by accident. Um, I, I wasn't Again, some of those, even some of that language, I'm not even sure was being used it at least wasn't. in my context yeah. uh, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Um, but but they were start, they were starting to kind of come out like, okay, wait, what kind of context are we working in here? So for me, it was kind of by accident that I happened upon that context. I'm super grateful for yeah. it. I spent four almost five years in that context, so I understand some of the unique challenges that are coming out of those environments, um, though. Uh, at, you know, at 21, 22, 23, you still have so much to learn. So um, thankfully, I had a really sweet uh, kind of associate pastor. He was a great supervisor, Jeff Saltzman, uh, down there in Bellflower, and then also senior pastor Paul, uh, who, Paul Dirks, who just, again, they just kind of let me find my way forward, and they gave me a lot of autonomy as a youth pastor to just love on these kids, explore, teach them the Word, and yeah. it, it was a great run. Wow. Well, I definitely want to hear what, what kind of came up next. I, I think this would be a good place, though, to just let people get to know Neil just personally. Yeah. Maybe do some rapid <laughs> fire questions. So these are our fun, kind of off-the-cuff personal questions. Usually Christian will, will facilitate these. Yeah. Um, so take get it. Get ready. All right. Because they come fast, but rapid fire. they take forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, Neil, what is your favorite movie? And the way I describe this is it's the movie. You come home from work. You turn on the TV. You're like, oh, this is on. Even though it's halfway through it, you're going to sit down and you're going to watch it. Ooh. Probably his wedding video. I just what we I'm ha- hearing about a good how, one. how in love they are. We, we, have, a good we one. have a good one, and I will show it to you, Michael. Mine's terrible. I can't. It's the slow like zoom and fade. There's people's heads and coffin and oh, it's, it's a VHS. Christian, now that you defined it that way, I might be changing my answer because it's really hard for me to say what my favorite movie is. Yeah. But the way you framed it, I would probably say Moneyball. 
Moneyball. Yes. So okay. I'm a huge Oakland A's fan. Sure. And so anytime Moneyball's on with, uh, with Brad Pitt, right? Mm-hmm. Jonah Hill, Brad Pitt. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm glued. Like I'm, I'm stuck. That's like awesome. I have to watch because I love my Oakland A's, and yeah. and it's just a great film. Chris Pratt. That's like one of his first big roles too, and he was still kind of what people refer to him as Fat Pratt because he's a little <laughs> bit bigger still. I was losing that weight, but that's cool. That's like, have you seen that movie? No. It's a good movie. You should check it out it's if you like sleep. baseball. Moneyball. It's no Sandlot, but it's good. All right, Neil. Most influential book, person, podcast things what's that one that you may read it once a year or this is a person you always listen to yeah so the it's kind of a a two-pronged approach here one would be uh robert mulholland uh invitation to a journey robert mulholland's with the lord now he was up at asbury seminary not too far from here up in kentucky and his book which very few people quite frankly know about every time i share it people go which book uh, but invitation to a journey is a is a book on spiritual formation that for me is is might be the greatest book written on spiritual formation. So I'm always going to Robert Mulholland. And then secondly, one of his proteges uh, is one of my most favorite books, and that is Ruth Haley Barton's Pursuing mm-hmm. God's Will Together. Uh, it's I think it's subtitled uh, a discernment practice for for spiritual teams or something like that. But pursuing God's will together. Uh, massively formative book for me. I love all things discernment, and so reading that book and seeing how Barton talks about what communal discernment looks like for Mm -hmm. like church teams or ministry teams or even families or, uh, yeah, groups of Christians that are coming together trying to understand what God's up to, what his voice is, what his invitation is, that book is, uh, it's bar none. It's amazing. It's big, big spiritual disciplines and directions. I have a few books at my shelf. Though it's small, it's the shelf rather than the shelf. But um, I wrote those names down. I'm gonna. I'm excited really to check them out. Yeah. Um, I think I know the answer to this question, um, knowing your wife's a yoga instructor. But what is your favorite outdoor activity when it's warm? Do you do yoga <laughs> outside too? Yeah, I guess you can. I did. I I went twice to. They called it power yoga at the Y, and I I probably looked like the there was an earthquake. My arms are just shaking this whole time and they're like this guy is but i like passed out and like the last five minutes like all right just rest and close your eyes and i'm just gone she i'm like the last one to get up she's like are you alive oh yeah i I was just asleep (laughs) i found peace (laughs) it was not it's pretty funny to watch people who like have hardly ever done yoga or even like athletes who think, oh, come on, I can do yoga. Yeah, That's no problem whatsoever. Stretchy. And yeah. you get like a like an amazing athlete doing yoga for one hour and they're done at mm-hmm. the end of the hour. Like they are laid out. Casey's even had, she's had cross trainers. Like at one point she had, in, her, in the studio that she worked at in California, Southern California, there was a, a hot yoga studio that she worked at and right next door was a cross crossfit oh you know goodness. studio yeah, and the beefy. crossfit the crossfit yeah. guys would you know they would joke with the yoga teaching gals or whatever and like oh come on that's not really wor- a workout and one day casey invited some of those crossfit guys to come it. over to her her you know her, the studio for for a one-hour class they were laid out for the rest of the day they could not yeah. even move that's, yeah, awesome. that's true casey's got some gall yeah so what would be your favorite out, outdoor activity it could be hiking it doesn't have to be yoga. anything else it, yeah. well is watching baseball an outdoor activity i think it is yeah does that work because yeah. i'm not a dog baseball soda baseball yeah. I don't. I don't move as much as my wife does, and so I just like to sit and watch baseball <laughs> all day long. <laughs> but no, if I'm moving, uh, I want to be on a bike ride with the kids, okay. with my wife and kids, or or Fun. on a hike. 
for sure. Any place particular you guys like to ride? So the greenways. Yeah, have do, you the, pay, yeah. Have you seen the greenways all throughout Knoxville? I yeah. mean, some some people don't realize like how extensive our greenways are. You feel um, like you're in a different world. It's amazing. You're like, I'm in Knoxville still? Me and my kids yeah. love them. Yeah, so we can get on. We live in West Knoxville, so we can get on right near that that old AMC theater out yeah, there. Yeah, behind the Lowe's and the theater. Yeah, you can almost make your way. You get there's a few times where you got to get off the Greenway and you got to kind of do side streets, but you can almost go from that part in Cedar Bluff all the way downtown. Yeah, it's it's incredible how far you can go. That's awesome. That's good. Well, outside of the um, the crazy like desert, California desert, uh, like mirage. Uh, what is the most bizarre? ministry experience or funniest um we've had a couple that have been just like all all over the place from funny to bizarre okay yeah (laughs) well i gotta go back to that that little conservative baptist church in bellflower california because here i am we're doing an all-nighter i'm probably 20 and i I think casey was there too she was my girlfriend at the time she's 19 a lock-in we're doing all night or lock in, yeah. yeah. Oh man, this is gonna be bad. Yeah. It, it's always bad once you lock say lock in. Oh man, and uh, so I get this idea at the very end of the night. The kids are, you know, all the kids are just dead tired. I think it's middle school, and they're just dead tired. They're kind of laid out, but I, I rally them one last time. I said, "Guys, the sun's coming up, and we got one last you activity." You poked the bear, <laughs> and and sure enough, it's uh, it's it's Saturday night. It, it, that we had done the all nighter and going so into it, a Sunday going service. Going into a Sunday, go, I don't know why. I don't know. Wow, why. that's the worst so ever. It's it's Sunday morning, and we're waking up, and we're going to send the kids home for like I don't know an hour or two, and then they're going to come back oh to church. God. I don't know. <laughs> they're all going to meet Jesus. It, it wasn't well thought out, but I had put out in the parking lot. I had put two little soccer goals, and I had put a soccer ball in the middle, but it was a it was a pinata soccer ball, and instead of filling it with candy, I had filled it with flour. Oh, I thought it had breakfast. <laughs> it does. It's just not cooked yet. So, so imagine twenty-five middle schoolers in oh, the youth room, and, and they get it. And I, I explain to them what, what's going to happen. I say the first team. I, I split them up into teams. The first team to kick the soccer ball into the goal wins the big prize. <laughs> and so, sure enough, they're all they're at two doors. You know, about to exit oh, the youth room and run into the parking lot and you know try and kick this ball. And they don't realize what it is. And so, sure enough, we open the doors and the two teams fly out, and little Daniel Lamb, he gets there first. He's this little scrawny sixth grader, and he flies, and he gets to that ball, and he he runs full speed <laughs> and winds up and kicks that ball, and as he does, he immediately, boom, he hits the pavement straight down, just lands straight on the pavement. This as was he set up on it. concrete. It was set up on the concrete parking lot. He goes straight down, and all of a sudden, kind of like, what was that, the, the, the character in, in uh, Peanuts, the... Uh, yes. what, would what's his name? Pull the football all the dust. out. Yeah, all the dust. Oh, oh. Linus? No, Pigpen. Pigpen. Thank you. Of course. Imagine Daniel hits the pinata filled with flour. The soccer ball pinata hits the pavement, and like Pigpen, the flour just goes poof. No. And it goes up into the air. All of it. All of it goes up into the air, <laughs> and covers like a the mushroom in, cloud of. It covers flour. the entire parking lot. Three hours before Sunday morning service is about to start, <laughs> looked like a drug deal gone wrong. <laughs> this is terrible. So literally, the entire parking lot of this little Baptist church is covered in white flour, and we got three hours to go. And I'm like, "There's oh, no rain coming." Oh, this is not going to be good. And you, you can imagine how how 
the next three hours went for me. Oh my goodness, no that sleep. was good. No sleep. That was good. We're we're pretty sure that like uh, lock ins, nothing good happens after like two or three in the morning. No, like I can't tell you how many lock ins I've been a part of. We just had to like talk down our female staff and volunteers from like. No, no, seriously, don't don't give up on God or ministry. It was just one lock in. Don't do it now. Do it. It's Car, terrible, man. Climb terrible. down. I got your hands. Like get literally, down from the ledge. It was roommate against roommate from Johnson, and and she, they she she, they like, literally left each other there and said, "Figure out your own ride." It had nothing to do with Kiko at this point. It was just like nothing good happens after a certain point nope. in a lock in. No. Michael, uh, when oh I my first goodness. started here, Kiko, he's like, "You need to do a lock in. You need to do a lock in." I'm like, "It's initiation." I'm like. No, bro, I'm good. So I wait till I have my daughter, and then I'm like, you guys plan a lock-in. And they did. <laughs> and then we had weeks of debriefing. Yeah. We're still working the, on that. The, the mushroom cloud and just... <laughs> That's the, so good, though, the flower. The I can't believe he got them to run out there after break of dawn and still ready to go. Yeah. I, I think he, I had told them that there was candy inside the pinata. A big prize. A big prize. Yeah. <laughs> So mean, and That's he fell asleep. That's probably why he's like he kicked it. Used all the last little bit of energy he had, and just poor kid. Yeah. Well, hey, we didn't go to uh, the go-to comfort food. Oh, that's right. I skipped over it. Hey, I want to hear Neil. this one. Yeah, we're super excited to hear your favorite go-to comfort food. So I I eat to live. I don't live to eat. So this was a little bit more challenging, mm. actually. Like I just I so I, like I don't eat care like about bars. Food. You just like whatever you can <laughs> keep sustenance. I, I, I eat, eat, no, no I, eat and drink. <laughs> I eat and drink whatever my wife gives me. Like that that's kind of my, my <laughs> liquid my thing. diets for you now. <laughs> Something like that. But hey, if it is comfort food, uh, crazy stuff in the morning, it would be a bowl of Cheerios. Like that, that for me huh. is like a standard way to start my morning. But if I'm thinking like comfort in the, like, you know, after lunch, lunch or dinner or whatever. Yeah. It's been a it's, long day. You just want a good. It's, it's tater tots. Mm. Mm. Like Have some, some tots. good tots, you know, give Love me your it. tots. Long's, I, I want some tots. Long's Drugstore low-key has really good tater tots. does have good tater tots. So does Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> so, hey, thanks for the fun questions. I want to hear more about what those next steps were um, in ministry and just where God kind of has led you to. But I know there were some some crucial and, and pivotal moments how God has continued to form and shape and mm-hmm. develop and use you. So uh, share share what was kind of next after seminary in the church. Uh, what was it, Bethel Grace? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, after Bethel Grace, uh, so tired actually of of all the evenings. You know, Christian, you mentioned earlier just uh, mm. in our conversations about working nights. It's just it can be so like depleting and draining. And so going from that intense youth pastor role where you're working lots of nights, I guess uh, we were looking for something that would slow that down. Uh, that led it led me into a nonprofit ministry called Guidelines International Missions. Um, they offer. Um, they just resource uh, international missionaries uh, in different parts of the world, particularly East Asia, Eastern Europe. Um, they have print and radio ministries, uh, just a lot of equipping. It's pr- it was primarily centered around uh, a, a primary you know, preacher and teacher and equipper. His name was Dr. Harold Sala. Uh, he's still going strong today, still wow. leading that ministry today, and he, I believe he's in his 80s. Um, but just an incredible man, prolific author, and just has resourced so many missionaries around the world, particularly indigenous missionaries. So he goes in, raises up uh, national missionaries, That's awesome. and equips them. And so I spent about two years with that organization as their international missions director. Um, enjoyed it, learned a lot, but in the end felt drawn right back into church. And mm-hmm. that's when uh, we made a pivot to um, to the, the church that we stayed at actually for the next 14 years. Wow. So we'll get to that in a minute. 
in California. So went from guidelines, working in international missions and helping kind of mobilize and develop indigenous leaders. That's incredible. I'm going to have to look that one up. I yeah. wasn't familiar with him. Guideline. Guidelines. 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 Yes. Mm-hmm. Plural. Mm-hmm. With a Z. No. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They're in California. They, they're spelling everything correctly still. Oh, that's <laughs> good. It's not trendy, which is not trendy. So tell us, so then you ended up back into the church world, yeah. um, which I know you have a heart uh, for the body of Christ. And, Huge. Um, want to hear a little bit about this. And, and don't forget to give a plug for something going on we here will. in Knoxville. We'll get there. I want to make sure we get one we'll accord. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, Guidelines was great. I learned a lot about, again, equipping. I, I got to travel a lot, got to go to East Asia. East, uh, um, I went to Vladivostok, Russia. Um, We've had that coffee here. Really? Philippines and other places. So that, that was just very wow. formative. But um, we, we started, while we were at Guidelines, we started uh, just participating in a church, uh, not on staff, but just walked in the door one day. And we literally, we just typed in like, I don't know, looking for a good Bible church or something like that. And a little church called Coast, excuse me, Coast Bible Church showed up on, on I don't know, it was probably Yahoo at the time. Yeah. I don't know if Google was around. <laughs> and uh, and so we walk in the door. We're just a young couple. We had been married maybe three, four years tops. Mm. And we just walked in the door. And man, I'll tell you, what an immediate sense of community, of just family of being welcomed, of being loved. Mm-hmm. That church, uh, in the, especially those early years, we walked in the door and just felt immediately loved and accepted. And so wow. that was a really sweet, sweet invitation to enter into that community. Yeah, so no kids yet. Not yet. Just the two of you, mm-hmm. a few years after mm-hmm. marriage. And so you ended up being there for the next 14, decade plus. 14 years. Yeah. So we walk in the door, and uh, after the first uh, year or two, uh, I had been at Guidelines, and I'd been finishing up seminary, and uh, the pastor kind of had his eye on me all the while. His name was Arch, Arch Rutherford, great guy. He's, now he's in Colorado Springs and a tremendous mentor in my life. And um, Arch had his eye on me, and when his associate pastor, Fred Eaton, uh, went out to Arizona with the church's blessing, uh, Arch came to me in that very moment and said, hey, Neil, you know, here's, there's, there's going to be an opening here. Fred's moving to Arizona, and we're, we're blessing him, sending him out to plant a church. And he said, would you, would you consider being the associate pastor? And so that led. So to you a were big at moment. guidelines when he approached you. Yeah. About yeah. this. Okay. So that mm-hmm. was the transition back into the church world. It was the transition, and here's the crazy part: Casey and I were actually at this massive intersection in life where, right before Arch asked that question, we were actually thinking of moving uh, up to Hollywood, California. Believe it or not, uh, my wife was an actress at the time. She was like really making progress too. She was doing commercials. Mm. She was even getting small roles, you know, kind of background roles in film, but she was getting really close to landing some opportunities. And we thought, man, maybe the Lord is inviting her into, you know, acting full-time. And I had been looking at a master's degree in philosophy as well, right after seminary. And I was looking at a school called Loyola Marymount University, a Jesuit school up there, and just kind of Wondering, is that where you want to send us, Lord? So we were looking north, north. We, we were living at the time right on the border of L.A. and Orange County. Mm-hmm. And we were thinking, oh, you're, you're sending us north, aren't you, to Hollywood? And then sure enough, that's right when Arch's question came to us. He says, well, why not? What about being the associate pastor of our church? And immediately that led Casey and I into this kind of, really for us, it was really one of the first crisis moments in our marriage where she really wanted oh, to go wow. north and I was kind of drawn to staying south and, and ministering at this church. Wow. So that led to some, some deep conversations. So you ended up accepting that position. Yeah. 
And are you guys on the same page about this? So is there we, any resentment? So, you no, know, at the time we weren't, right? We were completely at odds. In fact, Casey would even admit to this that that, that year, I think that was year three of our marriage. That was the hardest year of our marriage. Wow. We've been married 20 years, and year three was the year where, boy, it just got we hard. We got tested. Um, we were just in separate places, so, kind of separate dreams thinking about living in separate, you know, she wanted to take us to Hollywood, and I, I said, oh, I'm not so sure, and and so we were just really at this crossroads, and sure enough, when Arch sits me down in his, his home office one day and says, Neil, I want mm-hmm. you to be the associate pastor, I go home to my wife, you know, three years married, you know, and I, I walk in the door, and I'm like, you're not going to believe this, and she's like, what? I said, Arch just asked me to be the associate pastor, and she's immediately, words out of her mouth, well, you said no, right? And I was like, wow. well, not yet, and and again, she she would freely admit this that she was you know really kind of at the time very much opposed to that, and uh, and so sure enough, Arch says, well you know let's talk together, and so Casey and I go in to, and talk with him together, and he starts you know talking to her about it, and he says you know the words that that any uh, spiritual leader will say that no one wants to agree to, and he looks at her and says, well will you at least pray about it? <laughs> the guilt trip. Yep. Take it to God, and and, and uh, <laughs> as as I hear her say in my in my head even now, well, well, fine, I'll pray about it. Fine, you know. That's how I ended up in, in uh, church ministry too, and I didn't think I was being asked. Like the way I ended up in it, like he was asking me, "Hey, D, I know you're involved with the youth at Kiko, and do you know anybody that would be willing to to work with our youth here at the church?" And I thought he was asking for a referral, not. Wow. And then he said, "Well, I was actually asking about you and your wife. Would y'all pray about it?" And wow. I'm like, "Really? Pray about it." That's how it all starts. <laughs> and sure enough, she did, though. So did God start speaking to her about it? She started to pray, and she prayed reluctantly. I mean, oh, she's, she's doing the Jonah prayer, right? Yeah. Like, sure, I'll pray about it. Sure, I'll go, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll preach to these people, so to speak. Uh, so she starts praying, and God, over the course of that month, I don't know how, I don't wow. know how, but he completely shifted her heart. He took her heart her heart's desire away from some of the, the fame of Hollywood. That she was starting to get those stars in her eyes a little bit, and she saw that decrease, and she saw her heart for this community here, this little church, Coast Bible Church, she saw that increase. Wow. And sure enough, a month went by, and she turns to me one day and says, Neil, you ha-, she said, Neil, you have to say yes to this. So wait, y'all took a month to talk about this and to pray about it. Wow, that's it, crazy. It was yeah. probably about a month. It was yeah. probably about a month of wrestling together. That's good. That's a huge turn. I mean, that's, I mean, it's Hollywood. That's like, yeah. for an actor, that's like yeah. the pinnacle mm-hmm. to yeah. for a small church. I'm giving this up. Yeah. That's it was. It was powerful. A, it was an unbelievable sacrifice for her, but 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 I saw it too. We we both saw it as actually no. This is this is the Lord saying to both of us. Yeah. No, it's it's not north. It stays south and. And so, uh, yeah, pivotal pivotal moment in, in my life. So I became wow. the associate pastor at that at that time. We kind of went through that process and and uh, started doing the associate role, a lot of uh, more administrative kind of executive type role where Arch just wanted to do the preaching and teaching, and I kind of did everything else in that role. Um, and sure enough, then we came to the next crossroads. Uh, about eighteen months, maybe twenty months into it, uh, he walks in one day, and or I walk into his office one day, and he says, Neil. It's been 22 years for me at this church. Uh, I've been going strong for 22 years, but now uh, I think it's time for me to hang up my cleats. And uh, Carolyn and I, we're gonna, uh, we've accepted a role uh, with the missions organization up in Colorado Springs. We're going to be moving in, in a few months. You've been there how long? Well, I had been at the church for about four years. 
on staff. But I had been no, no. I, I, we we remember yeah. we we walked in the door first. Yeah, and we were there for two years uh, as just before you were asked before to be associate. We even okay. asked and to then be you're associate. coming close to two years right working. Okay, coming close oh to two goodness. years working as associate. So four total in the church. And he, but he springs this on me, you know. Yeah. Not even two years into my role as associate, he says we're moving to Colorado Springs. So he's like, "Hey, pray, pray about this. <laughs> Don't do this to me. <laughs> Don't do this. This happened to me, man. I'm telling you, all hard lessons were taught in these moments. <laughs> so he he's asking, uh, pray about another opportunity. How, where's your wife at on this one? Wait, so he doesn't ask. He uh, doesn't. I he asked just... the first question. Oh, I asked the first question. I said, Arch, what? I said, what? Do you, what are you talking about, man? You you know you're doing great. You know yeah you okay. You're a little bit older, but not really. And and you know you, you don't need to go. So you're you, trying to talk you about getting into I'm it. Talking, I'm talking. I'm talking awesome. to stay. You know, and I said, man, half the reason I took this role was yeah. to sit under your leadership. Yeah, that's half the reason. Half the reason I took this role is to be mentored by you and to be developed by you. Wow. And he said, yeah, sorry about that. And, <laughs> I said, <laughs> and I said, sorry to let you down. Savage. I said, so what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And he says, well, we're gonna we're gonna find a new pastor. I said, man. Wow. I said, well, where what? How, how are we gonna do this? How, where are we gonna find a new pastor? And he says, actually, I think it might be you. And I. I'm 26 when he says that to me. 26. Yeah. And I look at him and I said, "You're crazy. Like no way am I going to accept the role of lead past senior pastor or whatever yeah. of this church. There's no way I'm going to do that." Wow. So you go home after this conversation and I'm assuming there's another one that ensues in your own house. Yeah. And so what is that sounding like? Where where's she at? Where's your wife at? <laughs> So this is just shell shock. I am. I, yeah. I'm, I'm shell shocked now. Just kind of reliving it. I'm traumatized by that moment. <laughs> oh, man. I walk in. Yeah. Counsel down the hall. <laughs> I walk in and I'm like, "Honey, you're not going to believe this." She says, "What?" I said, "Arch is leaving," and and she says, "What?" And I said, "And uh, he is going to recommend me to be the pastor." And now we're we're in a more congregational led, you know, it kind of distributed. It's like elder pastor congregation led. Yeah. It's kind of kind of mutual. So what he recommends is only one piece of the puzzle. It's not it's not his call, so to speak. Sure. But she looks at me. She's like, he did what? He he's recommending you. And I said, yeah. And uh, she said, well, what do you say? And I said, well, I said no, of course. So like I'm 26. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like he at the time he was like 60, you know. Wow. And I'm 26. And uh, so anyway. Conversation starts and and continues and Arch keeps prodding and asking me to pray about it, asking Casey to pray about it and and so I start I start giving him all these excuses and the first thing I say is Arch like I'm not even going to consider this, not even going to consider it unless every single one of the elders comes up to me and says yeah I think you're the guy for this too. Wow. And sure enough, over the course of the next month, every elder had a conversation with me and said yeah I do think it's you. And and then I'm like, I'm kind of like that, you know, the fleece story here. Well, you know, if the fleece is wet, oh no, if yeah. the fleece is dry, and I keep throwing out other yeah. things. I said, Arch, guys, I'm not even going to consider this unless, like, there's overwhelming support <laughs> from, from the, the church family. From the congregation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And sure enough, there was. It it, it came in kind of the, the straw poll, so to speak, <laughs> everybody kind of checking, gauging the congregation, and sure enough, it came back with an overwhelming response. Yeah, we think it's we think you should take this role. So at 27, the next year, uh, or I, I was—I think I was pretty close to my 27th birthday. It was probably a six-month process. Turned 27, 
Uh, Casey just has our firstborn son, Bennett, in September of 2006. And the very next month in October of 2006, uh, I was ordained and installed as the senior pastor wow. at Coast Bible Church. What a whirlwind season of transition for you guys. So you're bringing home your firstborn, and then you're also installed as, as a lead pastor, a senior pastor there. So what was that season like for you guys? It was great. I'll be honest, it was mm. great. We had, this again, the sweetest community, uh, a very grace-filled church, a church that just exuded the grace of Christ, uh, intergenerational, a small church. It wasn't big. Uh, by the time uh, I took the... the the helm, so to speak, I guess it was right around 120, 125 or so on an average Sunday, whatever that means. Uh, and so small community, but deeply knitted community, mm-hmm. and uh, and had a great Christian school on the same campus that we okay. partnered with, um, just a great reputation in the community. I, honestly, the first seven years of me being lead, senior lead pastor there, first seven years was a beautiful and wonderful experience. The first seven years. Well, I got to say the first seven. You yeah. know, there's there's some bumps in the road, right? Sure. Uh, How long were you senior pastor? Ten years. Okay. Ten years. Yeah. You want to talk about the bump? Let's talk about the bump. Okay. And it's uh, not the baby bump anymore. Not the baby <laughs> bump. Um, boy, how to, how to describe it. So first seven years, yeah, just on cloud nine. I had a very supportive congregation. My wife and I were doing great. Our kids were being raised up there. You know, children's ministry was great for them. They felt so well loved and knit, knitted into the community. And the first seven years were just six, seven years was just rolling. And uh, probably right around that time, year six, year seven of that ten year stint, um, had had a family issue arise from my family in Northern California. And I, w- I won't go into specifics, but let's you know, to suffice to say, there was a really, really difficult moment. In our in my in my personal family up in Northern California, mm-hmm. and here we go. You know, uh, uh, Neil Anderson, senior pastor, uh, big brother is going to go up there and save the day. You know, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I I think I think I know what I'm doing as I go up to Northern California to try and enter into this very very difficult situation that had been happening uh, with my sister and and just her situation. Well, sure enough, I walk in to an environment that um, that was well beyond my pay grade and well beyond my capacity to handle. And uh, she, uh, I know she would, uh, you know, share with those that would, would like to hear her story one day, but she, she, she just had a marriage that, that fell apart mm-hmm. and a couple kids involved and it was heartbreaking. It was painful. Um, we, uh, we uh, just hurt deeply as a family for that season of our life. And sure enough, uh, I came back from that experience in Northern California. My wife and I had gone up there like emergency crisis mode. We were up there about a week, almost 10 days even, I think. And by the time I drove back down to Southern California, back to my church, I knew that something had deeply changed in me. Oh, wow. Um, I came back a different person. I came back uh, deeply emotionally just broken, broken. Realizing, and now again, using nomenclature and words now, realizing that, boy, my soul care, my, my personal spiritual formation was no match for what I just experienced up there. Mm. Um, I was not emotionally prepared. I was not spiritually prepared. And in the year or two that followed, it was a process of me picking up the pieces of my own life and trying to make sense of some of the deep pain and trauma that we had gone through as as just our in our own family. Mm. And so here I am driving back down to Southern California thinking, wait, I'm a pastor again? 
and mm-hmm. I'm supposed to shepherd others, and I myself am deeply broken right now. How does yeah. that work? Wow. So, I mean, just, just for our listeners, like, what, what was it that can you even pinpoint, maybe now at the time you probably couldn't, were you feeling defeated, inadequate, a mixture of a whole bunch of other things? Like, what, what was it that you, in this moment, you say that this was way bigger than your spiritual capacity was able to handle personally? But, I mean, what did you then begin to wrestle with and, and these pieces that then the Lord had to minister to you regarding? You know, I think the first thing was just uh, dealing with, like, really raw emotion, right? Mm-hmm. What do you do when you have, uh, let's say, a kind of, you know, anger that arises in you for what's happened in your family and what has been done to your family? What happens when you have a kind of anger, and you're a pastor, you're a ministry leader, you're a spiritual leader in your community, and you have an involuntary emotional response of just desire to protect and guard and... Um, and be that, yeah, be that strong presence for your family, and you are just overcome with anger and with pain and with hurt, how do you, as a spiritual leader, uh, find a way to navigate those emotions? I was not equipped at, at the time, probably about 33, 34 years of age, I was not equipped emotionally to handle that moment. Yeah. You know, Neil, I, I feel like I went to Bible school, I went to seminary, and when I had my own bumps, I, I realized that there were things that I had not been equipped for. And one was I had a great theological foundation, much like what you're describing, and I'm so grateful for that. But when I hit these moments in my life that I didn't know how to get help, reach out, was it okay to do that? Um, there was so much, I had so much shame even around my own inadequacies in those moments that I wasn't even sure what to do, um, but I knew I had hit my ceiling, mm-hmm. and I knew that I was about to implode if I didn't do something because of all the stresses of life and the emotion now that I was dealing with, and, and it was so toxic. And that's something that I think a lot of young leaders in the Christian world right now, we don't do a good job equipping them for the realities of just life, of life, of when things yeah. get heavy personally, how do you have enough capacity on the inside, or at least know where to turn and who to go to and, and, and how to then approach the Lord that, to process these things. And I think that that's um, a disservice. That and, and I love how some of the roles that you've taken now, you've obviously reflected on these moments, mm-hmm. and you want to help equip leaders to be prepared for life mm-hmm. and to be effective as godly men and women wherever He places you, but to be able to do that by being prepared for life. Um, so w- the, the story continues. This is just a moment here. So this is the first of the bumps. Yeah. At the early. So how did this continue for you? Well, yeah, and, and one more thing on what you just said there, Michael. I, I didn't have a framework or a paradigm that a pastor could be human. Mm. That's what I didn't have a framework for. You can't deal with issues. Right. Yeah. I Wait a minute. This level of anger in yep. me, doesn't that disqualify me mm. to be a spiritual leader when that happens? Uh, yeah. This level of just even, um, yeah, like a desire to pr- protect, even like you know, a re- vengeful spirit kind of in yeah. me. And I look at, I looked in the mirror, and I was like, I don't like what I'm looking at. I, can I even continue forward as a person in ministry with that level of emotion in me? Mm-hmm. With that, you know, so I didn't have paradigms that that said, Neil, it's okay for you to be human too. 
Neil, it's okay for you to experience moments where you are actually at your lowest point. You can actually still be a spiritual leader and be at your lowest point on earth. I didn't have that framework. I yeah. thought if I go to the lowest point, surely that means I'm disqualified. This is it. I'm yeah. done. Yeah. yeah. So what did I have in that moment? I had a gift in the, in the person of Michael Bischoff who entered into my life right around mm-hmm. that time. Michael Bischoff, uh, plug a ministry here, soulleader.org, S-O-U-L-E-A-D-E-R, soulleader.org. Mm-hmm. Michael Bischoff was a pastor's pastor in our community. Uh, he was a person who walked in and started teaching me about emotional health, about holistic formation, about a kind of humanity that I could bring to my ministry and to my life that would give me permission to not always be my best, to sometimes even uh, not just um, live in, but even embrace the weak moments of life. I mean, he really really embodied and incarnated what Paul talks about, that my... When Jesus, you know, Paul quoting, uh, uh, just Paul's words saying, you know, my strength is made perfect in weakness Mm. there. My strength is made perfect in weakness, says the Lord. Michael Bischoff embodied that for me, and he showed me how to be weak and yet live in the Lord's strength in the midst of that. He, his influence on me, his ministry to me, it went on multiple retreats with the Soul Leader team. My wife and I went together on some of these immersions, they called them. We actually, over a three-year span, we went on three different retreats each year in this sweet cohort of different pastors and leaders, ministry leaders and spouses, and and there was about 25, 30 people that would go on these cohort retreats three times a year for three years, and that was such a formative experience for me. It changed my life. That's what kept you alive. It really did. In In those moments. Wow. Boy, we all need a, a Michael, how do you say his last name? Bischoff. Bischoff. Wow, we need those. You said it was soulleader.org. Yeah. I definitely encourage people. We'll put that in the description, but uh, check that out. I think we all um, could do some some service to ourselves and to what God has called us to, to look into spiritual formation um, again and again and again. Uh, to not just make it something that and we again. and again that we just oh I'm going to read a book this year you know but it is a part of our daily routine it is a part of um, it is a part of our our annual checkups that we have to have done yeah. you know gosh we go to the doctor for certain things at different ages but this is something spiritually we really need to be revisiting over and over and that's why I'm so glad that obviously from your experience God has made you passionate about yeah. um, which is soul care self care mm-hmm. and spiritual formation but. So you are um, in the in the next few years, um, then taking the next steps into continual ministry. Yeah, uh, what does that look like? So the last three years were different than the first seven. Yeah, and uh, in the last three years, uh, it was very much a um, invitation uh, from the Lord to think about my own um, humanity and ministry and how I would lead from that place of weakness, and uh, to really lead from a place of deep reliance on the Holy Spirit. And so as I began to lead differently and even teach differently, you know, we, we had come from a very, you know, doctrinal, theological kind of church framework where every time I'd get up there, it was a deeply theological message. And then those last three years, it was a deeply kind of transformational kind of message. Mm-hmm. I talked a lot about just the transformation of wow. the Holy Spirit upon us. And so in that paradigm shift from the first seven to the last three, 
it, there were parts of it that were well received, and then parts of it where the church community was a little bit confused. They're like, yeah. "Wait a minute, Neil, you look what's different uh, today than you did, you know, a few years ago. So what's the difference?" And so, over the course mm. of time, I realized that um, that the Lord was moving me, mo- changing my heart, yeah. and moving me and releasing me really from that community, a community that we thought we might be in literally for thirty, forty, fifty years. And all of a sudden, by about year nine of year 10, by about year nine, I looked at Casey one day and I said, I think we're being released from this. I think we're being sent out somewhere else. Wow. Christian, I'm going to let you continue and just kind of take us to where, how you ended up here and the ministries you're involved in. And we're also going to talk about One Accord, what's coming up. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. So from there, from feeling like, I think we're being released, what was, like, I guess the big question is, how'd you get to Knoxville? Great question. Uh, not an easy answer, but I'll make it real quick. Uh, we, it wasn't a job. It wasn't a uh, assignment, ministry assignment. It really, truly was a, a place that we were drawn to. Um, California had been, you know, home, and we had have loved it. And we we left the church, by the way, on great terms. They even asked us to stay. They said, "Are you sure?" You know, and we said, mm-hmm. "Yes." We we do sense God calling us up and out. But um, Knoxville kept showing up, literally in our eyes. Uh, we had opened up the Atlas one day, we were like looking all across the the U.S., and we were praying, and we were thinking and dreaming, and um, Knoxville, for whatever reason, Christian, it just it kept showing up. Mm. And uh, we started exploring it, learning about it, and then sure enough, little things would start happening. Uh, I'd be sitting literally in a, getting my hair cut, and the stylist behind me, I'd said, hey, you know, where are you going on vacation this year? And he'd, he'd say, uh, you know, it's funny. I've been thinking about going to East Tennessee. <laughs> and uh, I was like, what? And then my wife's at the grocery store, and she's striking up a conversation with the gal. And the gal says, oh, man, I, I just can't stand the weather today. You know, we were in SoCal. And she says, it's always, you know, 75, 80, and sunny. And how come we just can't have four seasons? I don't know, four seasons like, like Tennessee has. <laughs> and so we started hearing all these confirmations, and we said, okay, Lord. We will go. We will go visit. And so sure enough, we hopped on a plane. We came to Knoxville in January of 2016. We we drove around, prayed, looked, prayed. We were scared to death. Hmm. It was not this, you know, glowing light from heaven saying, come here. Right. It, we were scared. We were terrified. And yet we knew that God was calling us up and out of our comfortable environment and into hmm. something fresh. Yeah, that's so true. And it is different than California. I love California. I like visit to visit California, but it's definitely something about Knoxville. And yeah. I guess eventually you guys felt that. That's how yeah. you ended up here. Um, but we, I mean, we could almost have a part two of this. I feel like, you know, this this story you have um, and how and your journey and how you got here um, and how you were pastoring a church you didn't feel like, not even called, but just like qualified for, um, to all those bumps. Uh, I think spiritual leaders that are my age, like, cause I'm 27. So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like, Oh my goodness, like pastoring a church at my age where I just had my first, uh, daughter. And I'm like, there's like, to me, I'm like, there's no way. Mm -hmm. Um, I know there's other people out there that are in that same situation and, and can't feel like, cause I love how you got to a point where you felt like you you had to like pastors and spiritual leaders can feel this way yeah and it's almost like you don't need permission to process and deal with it or feel qualified to 
be in any sort of role. And so I definitely appreciate you coming on and kind of just sharing that. I know some of our listeners surely got something um, out of it. Uh, is there something you wanted to plug really quickly? Yeah. So just real quick, I mean, we, we uh, like I said, I, I probably talked too long, so You're I don't want to go too long here on the podcast, but uh, we got a few things going. Number one, I just want to plug our, our Thrive Residency Program. Mm-hmm. So locally now in Knoxville, uh, I'm, I'm doing support, mentoring, and coaching of a lot of young aspiring pastors and leaders. And so we're raising up uh, just a great next generation of, of Gen Z and millennial kingdom leaders, mm-hmm. and I'm honored to do it. Check out thriveresidency.com. Um, that's one of just my bread and butter spots here yeah. in the city. Yeah. And then a, a follow-up to that too, a second plug. Um, we, a part of Thrive, and by the way, Thrive's a part of a greater uh, community called Thrive Lawnsdale. We serve inner-city at-risk uh, kids, youth, and families in our community. And so the residency program is under the umbrella of Thrive Lawnsdale and and just just a lot of ministry in the city and a lot mm-hmm. of leadership development in the city. Yeah. And then out of that has come a deep desire for churches and for pastors and for ministry leaders to come together. And so we're starting a little initiative, and, and as quickly as we start it, we want to give it away, truly want to give it away. Uh, but we're starting this initiative called One Accord Knox. One Accord Knox. I got a little website, oneaccordknox.com. And it's just based on uh, you know the prayer of, of Jesus for unity in the church in John 17. It's also based on so much of the language of Paul and his letters, where he talks about being of one accord, of one mind in Christ. And so One Accord Knox is happening May 11 at 2 p.m., over at Lakeshore Park Chapel, and it's a gathering of pastors, of nonprofit leaders, anyone in our city, brothers and sisters, who are who consider themselves equippers. I think of that Ephesians four eleven, those apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. We want the equippers of Knoxville to come together, about 60, 75 minutes together, in a time of just we put together five things that we're praying for. Number one, to revive their hearts. As spiritual leaders, so many of them have dealt with so much in this past year. We want to come together and revive hearts together. We want to pursue unity. The key word there is pursue, not unity. If if, if it's unity, we're going to get disillusioned because we know how far we have to go. But Jesus says, hey, keep pursuing it. Mm -hmm. Don't give up pursuing unity. Three, earnest listening. We need to listen to one another. So we're inviting all of our spiritual leaders in the community to come and listen to each other's Mm -hmm. stories. That's good. Four, fervent prayer. We want to pray together. And five, and finally, uh, kingdom initiative, kingdom engagement. Lord, is there something that you're inviting the Big C Church in Knoxville to do together? So that's One Accord Knox, May 11, 2 p.m. We invite all pastors and leaders to come. Awesome. That sounds awesome. I will be there for sure. So I'm excited to check it out. Um, Neil, thank you so much for your time. It's been really fun. Um, I hope as I see you in the parking lot or over in the building next door that we can continue just to check in and see how each other are doing. But I've enjoyed our time together. If you would like to reach out to us um, for any, what what do you want to hear? Maybe a coffee we should try or just... See how we're doing. You can reach out to us at coffeeconvospodcast at gmail.com. That link is in the, the description, as well as all the things about Neil and Thrive, and also where to find out about One Accord Knox if you'd like to attend that. So thank you so much, man. You have a good one. 